Hi, I'm Sylvia Sue. Welcome to More Than a Cake Store, a podcast where we'll explore stories of women in the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales who have faithfully responded with the gifts that God has given them, no matter how big or small, to the call of the gospel. And whether that skill is baking or banking, God receives it, hones it, and uses it for his glory. Our hope is that you'll be awed by God's graciousness and encouraged by these conversations to take the gifts that God has given and use them in service of him. Because after all, even a cake store in service of the king is more than a cake store. Thanks for joining us for this episode of More Than a Cake Store. Today we're joined by Ruth Myers, a missionary who served over 20 years in Somalia and Ethiopia as a midwife and nurse. Ruth's story is exciting, it's encouraging, and really paints a picture of the way that Christ enables us to serve him, whatever our shortcomings and failings. Just a note, in this discussion, Ruth shares a traumatic incident, including kidnapping and rape. If you have young ears nearby, we encourage you to pause this episode and listen to it later. But if you do find this conversation distressing, we really encourage you to speak to a trusted church member or a Christian counsellor to support you through your grief. Thanks for listening. Ruth, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a single lady, 87. I live in Wyoming in a retirement village. I've been there six years. Before that, I lived in Newcastle and before that, I lived in Africa. And I was going to ask you, Ruth, to tell us something about yourself that might surprise us. Well, the other day I was reading in the Gospel about Jesus said, before you deal with the speck in another's eye, look at the plank in your own. So I said to my friend, what's my plank? And she said, your plank is you say whatever comes into your head. <laughs> okay. And uh, and I said, in your plank is you're very touchy. It's glad to know what my plank is so yeah. I can de- deal with it. Okay. Uh, Ruth, how does a, a young woman from rural New South Wales uh, end up in Somalia in the 1960s? Well, I trained as a nurse in Albury, so that is rural New South Wales, and then I went to King George V to do midwifery, and there I met some wonderful Christian nurses who really taught me um, what living and walking with the Lord Jesus is like. And through them I learned that if I wanted to go overseas to work, I'd go to Bible college. So I went to Sydney Missionary and Bible College for two years and every week we heard a missionary. And through that the Lord showed me that he wanted me to go to Somalia to work as a nurse. Wow. Had you heard about from missionaries who'd been to Somalia? this missionary that came had someone with her that was going out as a nurse for the first time. Okay. Before that, I'd never heard of Somalia. Oh, wow. Amazing. Amazing courage to do that. Well, I just felt so thrilled that, that I was seeing so clearly where I was supposed to go. Yeah, that's good. That's a blessing from God. It yeah. is. I'm assuming midwifery in Australia in the 1960s is very different to what it is today, let alone in another country in the same decade, Uh, what were the biggest challenges you faced in Somalia? Midwifery was our most wonderful contribution to the women. They are circumcised when they're children and so every time they have a baby they have to be cut where Mm. the circumcision was sewn up. 
So no delivery was simple, and, and because many of them didn't come till they were in danger, many deliveries were dangerous and critical, and yet we never lost a woman. Amazing. And most, I don't, can't even remember losing a baby. And once she did deliver the baby, you were part of that family. Yeah, they'd well. call the baby after you or they'd get you to come and be part of the baby's life. It was amazing ministry. That sounds like both a challenge but more a blessing than a challenge. Yeah, it was a challenge. But we, we also trained Somali girls to be midwives too. Yeah. And when before we, the hospital was finished, we used to have to do the deliveries in the huts and that, that would be just with the hurricane lantern and often on the floor and with all the neighbours pressing round. So that was even worse. <laughs> Once we got in the hospital... We could control it a bit. Yeah, yeah. So the hospital was actually formed, you, you, well, you didn't physically build it, but it was built while you were in Somalia. It, yeah, it was finished after I arrived. Yeah. And we were so thrilled when we had a lovely clean hospital and yeah. beds for the patients and a delivery ward. Yes, that's wonderful. And you weren't delivering babies by yourself. You had a woman there working with you, Dr. Jo Ann, is that right? She didn't... Um, she didn't have much to do with the deliveries. No. She um, she trained in Texas. She did nursing training before she did medicine. And um, it was very hard for her because the men in Somalia don't, don't respect women at all. And if she told them they needed surgery, they often laughed at her, yeah. told her she didn't know what she was talking about. She ran the hospital. Yeah, she yes. ran it, but she did. Most of the work the nurses did. Okay. So even though you were very uh, different to Joanne, uh, who you worked with, she really impacted you significantly. What was that impact from a professional perspective and from a spiritual perspective? She, as a friend, we were very different. It was real synergy. She's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. She was very serious about Bible studies, setting the time, wonderful at expounding the scriptures, and I learned all that from her. But I loved having visitors and doing the cooking, and she didn't like that at all. Okay. So we, we met each other's need. But after we'd had visitors, she would often clean up the kitchen. and So we got on really well. She was a wonderful really friend. Family. I lived with her for 13 years. Wow. She got married then, and I... I felt like she died. I was happy for her, but I really missed her. Yeah, um, and and so spiritually, she impacted you through her example of yeah that she just took her spiritual life very seriously, and I learned a lot from that. Yeah, that's good and lasting impact still today. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You were doing a lot of hands-on work in Somalia, uh, delivering babies, uh, working in the hospital, providing nursing assistance. Um, but in all of that, how did you see God working in your life? Well, in a situation like that, nurses do a lot what doctors do here. Like one their doctor was away and I had to amputate a man's arm. Oh, gosh. And we, ha we had to learn how to pull out teeth, suture up wounds, do things that we'd never done in Australia, do all the diagnosing tr and treatment. And so the Lord used to guide us very clearly. Like the day I did the amputation, he's told me that the man was going to die of tetanus if we didn't help him and to get on with it. And so it went Gosh. well. It went well. So the Lord helped in many, many different situations where you really didn't know yeah. what, what you were going to do. That's incredible. And gave us strength. Like often we were up all night with the delivery and then had to work in the clinic the next day. But the wonderful thing about the Somalis is they have a great sense of humour. 
So when you were getting tired and at the end of the tether, you could make them laugh and they'd make me laugh and I'd get us through it that way. Oh, lovely. Mm. Yeah, so so it's really beautiful to see how God strengthened you through his spirit when fatigue or weariness or even just medical knowledge wasn't enough. He just yeah. gave you what you needed. And one year the doctor was home on leave and the other nurse was home on leave and I was like by myself for a whole year running the hospital, doing everything. And yet I look back on that year as very close to the Lord right through. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, in our hardest seasons, I think, is when God allows us to depend on him the mm. most. So it's really yeah, lovely. Every, every day. Yeah. While you were in Somalia, you experienced some significant traumas, um, abrupt goodbye, missionary friends murdered, sudden changes to your job and your role that you didn't actually have a say in. Um, what impact did that have on you and how did God, that how did God sustain you? When I first arrived, the hospital wasn't built. And so after six months I had mid study, they made me the hostess of the guest house. And I'd never done any cooking. I'd left home at 17. And here I am running a guest house. I cried when they told me, but they said, in SIM, you do what you're told. And by the end of the six months of running the guest house, I loved it. Oh, wonderful. And that's how hospitality became part of my life. Yeah. One of the, three of the missionaries were murdered. They were part of the Mennonite mission, but they were our co-workers. So that that showed us that we we could have been yeah. them. Yeah. And that was one of the, the first men that was killed by a Somali sheikh had three children and oh. he was running a school. And it was just so awful that he was stabbed to death. The hardest thing for me, apart from that, was when the government told us we had to leave Somalia and they just said, leave the hospital, you can take your own clothes, but everything else, leave. And there was no <laughs> preparation. The mission didn't, there was no debriefing. We just got shoved into Ethiopia. They said, we're so glad to have extra nurses in Ethiopia. It took me years to get over that yeah. because our nurses that had come to the Lord we had to leave them all, and um, it, it was just real heartache. I couldn't even hear Somalia on the news without crying. Oh, wow. It took me a long time. Yeah, and how did God sustain you through that or well, help you I through that? Well, I just had to. Um, sometimes I'd go into the toilet and cry and cry and come out and pretend I was all right, mm. but I just had to live with that for years. It's yeah. really sad. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's like, it's okay to feel sad. God doesn't promise that we will never feel sad. and yeah. yeah. There's grief there and grief is the experience of having more love to give and there's no more opportunity to share that love because you've been removed from that yeah. situation. After spending those years in Somalia, how many years was it in Somalia? 23. 23 years. Well, not all because when we left Somalia, we went into Ethiopia. Okay. But- the time in Africa it was, was 23. 23 years. Um, but after a little bit of time, you came back to Australia for furlough. That would have been? That was after five, four years. Four years. Four. And you came back to Australia, you visited churches, you reconnected with your family, you had rest. You brought. You took a ship down, is that right, mm-hmm. the first time? We went by boat, came back by boat. Okay. But that first experience, as lovely as it sounds, was a little bit traumatic. Well, I had no idea that after four years away, it everything would be so changed because my mum had written every week. Yeah. But there were still big changes and, and I'd be yelling at the people in the clinic to sit down <laughs> and keep quiet and mum would say, we're not deaf here, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and at first it was frightening to speak in the churches but I grew to love that. Yeah. But I just wasn't prepared that first time for how I would react to the changes. 
after that I knew yep. and it was all right. Those days we had to speak with a hat on and we had to buy a hat and <laughs> handbag and gloves and it was very um, ordered in the churches. That was 1964. Yeah. yeah. I had to buy a winter hat and a summer hat because I was home for a year. I was going to ask what's the difference between a winter hat and a summer hat. Well, one's a bit like felt and the other one's straw. Okay. When you finished your two decades of ministry in Somalia and then Ethiopia, uh, you came back to Australia, and I'm sure not immediately, but eventually you walked into a university and you started a psychology degree. It was only one month. One month. I got back in February and I started at the end of February. Wow. Why? It was starting. <laughs> well, but why psychology? Oh, well, I told you how sad I felt when we left Somalia. Yes. No debriefing, no preparation. And then when I'd been taken by terrorists and treated terribly, no debriefing. Yes. And I just felt that there was a huge need for someone to be trained in debriefing, but also in, I had no preparation before I went. I didn't know anything about my personality. I learned it the hard way. And so I learned through doing honours in psychology how to do a psychological assessment on a candidate, how to debrief someone who'd come home. I was prepared because of my 23 years experience and it was just wonderful. I had nearly 30 years of the most wonderful ministry of working with the cream of the crop, people getting ready to go, people that had come home. No one could say to me, you don't understand. I knew. I knew what it was like to be single. I knew what it was like to be lonely. I knew what it was like to go through a hard experience. It was just amazing and helping people to see their personality and their background and how they handle stress was all helping them to be better equipped to go. And I had hundreds and hundreds of people tell me how much it helped them. That sounds so helpful. It's just amazing how you went so under-resourced without any of that preparation, without any of that psychological or emotional support when you came back for furlough. And instead of going, well, that's just the way it's going to be, you went and did something about it. And it was a pioneer work because no one did it. Now, before I finished, all the missions did it. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. It was a pioneer ministry. And I lived with a lady who'd been a doctor in Papua New Guinea and so she did medical work and I did the psychology and we we just had a wonderful time. Incredible. And you targeted that towards missionaries, prospective missionaries. We had Christian workers from Australia come too because... It wasn't provided. No, that's just amazing. In this second act of ministry, instead of delivering babies and caring for Somalian and Ethiopian people, you are now caring for missionaries, preparing them for the mission field, uh, supporting them as they came back. Um, What did you learn about God in that time? I learned so much about human makeup, how our backgrounds affect us, how God can undertake no matter what the background there were very few people that I didn't find could go if they some of them needed counseling before they went yeah but the Lord just gave me real understanding of people and how to listen to them and how to help them and see many transformed yeah and you could also take time looking at the marriage of the couple and how they were going some came from broken homes how were they coping how were they handling their own marriage? Mm. Uh, I didn't do anything with the children. I only did it with parents. parents and, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was very good. That's wonderful. I'm just going to go back to something you said was taken by terrorists and treated. I'll just say that I was raped by this soldier, mm. but what 
stands out for me was the fact that I said to God, he's going to kill me, and God said, whose body, if he does? And I remembered Romans 12, 1, present your body a living sacrifice. And as I said, it's your body, Lord, whatever happens, that room was filled with light. And all that I remember from that is the, the presence of the Lord with me. Yeah. And there was no debriefing for that. That was no. um, 1977. Wow. And uh, that the, the director just said, don't tell anyone. We don't want the fr- single ladies frightened by your story. Oh, gosh. And so th- it's in the book how Corrie Ten Boom's story where the, the, the soldiers had bayonets. Mm. I couldn't watch that. I cried and left. But that was my breaking down my emotions so yeah. that I got over it. Yeah. Because the bayonets was what this man held over yeah. me. And the Lord allowed you to heal. The Lord gave me, yeah, as I said, the memory now is how present he was. Yeah, that's beautiful. I never think of that. No. I mean, I just think of how he met my need. Yeah. Amen. But I did have to debrief people that had been through similar things and to say, I understand. Yeah, yeah. And that allowed you to not only have the compassion but also when your memory is God's comfort and presence, uh, that allows you to you know, give people the hope that one day that will be their recollection as well. Yeah. God's, God's it doesn't comfort. have to. It doesn't have to be something that narrows your living experience. No, no. it can broaden it. Yeah, amen. Mm. As you look back over your whole life, many years of ministry and service uh, in Africa, in Australia, is there a particular scripture that God has encouraged you with? Yes, I brought my Bible. You've come prepared. I'm prepared. That's wonderful. It's Ephesians 3.20. I had it on my prayer card when I went out and it never left me. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is always at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That never left me. Yeah. And it's true. Wonderful. What is the truth in that passage that speaks to he you? He is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything we expect. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've got this plank about speaking my mind and I've got plenty of other weaknesses. And in spite of all that, God is able to work in your life and use even those weaknesses mm. to his own glory. Yeah. It's just, it always amazes me how frail or incompetent or unable we feel we are and God says, no, you're just the person I've chosen for this and he's chosen you, Ruth, for an incredible ministry that's still continuing today, Um, maybe not in such exciting locations or dangerous places. Gosford could be pretty dangerous though, Uh, but he's got you still serving him. Driving him in the rain was pretty dangerous. I've got a sister who did it. She's a wonderful help. We're just so lucky to be living near each other because all our adult life, Rhonda's been married with a family living in other places. Even in Australia, she was in Dubbo and I was in Newcastle, but now we're right together. Wonderful. Have tea together every night. Yeah, that's wonderful. You've got a support. Mm. You've got a sister and a companion. Yeah, Yeah. we pray together every night. Well, how about we pray together now? Okay. Okay. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the way that you have used Ruth, uh, your humble servant, to serve you in dangerous places, in beautiful places, 
and um, in quiet places. Father, we thank you so much that uh, Ruth's work and service has not only brought honour to you, but developed a very close relationship with you, where she has seen your grace, where she has felt your strength and your light and your support, and that she's been allowed to rest uh, in your very kind and compassionate arms of hope. Uh, Father, we just uh, pray for Ruth as she goes forward that you'll continue to bless her ministry, that you'll continue to utilize her to share the gospel and to share the hope of Jesus uh, with her friends, with her church family, and in every day in her life. We pray that she will always feel the closeness of your spirit with her and your kindness to her. Amen. Amen. Uh, Ruth, you've written a book. It's called When the Lights, when go, the out. lights go Out. And this book tells the story of your time in Somalia mm. and Ethiopia. And the way prepared to go. Yeah, my, you know some of our family history. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful book. Poor poor Ruth. The first time we met, I said to you, "Are you Ruth Myers, the author?" Because I'd loved reading your book, uh, and I reread it again in preparation for our interview. And I tried not to delve too much into what's in the book because that's a standalone piece that people can purchase and read. Um, it's available at the Cornerstone Bookshop on the Central Coast, Kurong Books. The Reformers Bookshop's got it. Reformers Bookshop, excellent. So uh, we encourage you to read the book when the lights go out and you will... Um, you won't be sorry. You won't be sorry, no. Thanks for joining me for this episode of More Than a Cake Stall. In our next episode, we hear from Julie Murray of Hurstville Presbyterian Church. Julie shares about easy English conversation classes and the way that they allow the Hurstville Presbyterian Church to both adapt to the changes in their community, share the hope of the gospel in an accessible way to new migrants and share the blessing of Christian community with those around them. It's an inspiring conversation. We hope you'll join us. This podcast is a ministry of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales Women's Ministry Committee. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram or at pcnswomen.org.au. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share it with your friends so that they too will be encouraged by these conversations to take the gifts that God has given them and use them in service of him 